0: Well, this evening, we are continuing the sermon series that we'll be in through the rest of the summer called, Who's on First? Knowing God by Name. And this series is all about the, really the question of who is this God? Who's this God that we approach when we gather in worship? Who's the God that we are talking with in prayer? What's he like? What's his nature? What's his character? What can we expect from God in the midst of life's ups and downs and what is expected of us in response? Each week, we're looking at a different name and a different title that we see of who God is in the Bible. And so the first week, a couple weeks ago, we started with Yahweh or Jehovah. Also, if you translate that into English, it's I am who I am. Last week, we looked at the Lord A couple of that one's certainly one of the more common ones, and I'd encourage you if you've missed those, just you can go back and you can catch those on our podcast or on our YouTube channel. Those will be available for you. And each week, if you're here with us, I hope you got it again this week. You can get your who's on first trading card as you come in. It's summer's hottest commodity, so get them while they last. You know, eventually they're going to become rare. And, uh, you know, you're going to be able to say that, yeah, you were there. You got the the first run, first edition, so keep them in mint condition. They'll be worth something, I'm sure. Now, it's really to help just reinforce for us really all about what we're diving into. It has the name of God that we're talking about that week, an image that ties to that name just to help us connect visually. On the back, it's got statistics because it wouldn't really be a trading card or baseball type card without statistics. And it's got places, the other places or some of the other places in scripture where you can find that name. So if you want to, you can go and you can reflect on those scriptures throughout the week and you can draw closer to God and you can draw him close to him, knowing him by name. And so I would encourage you to make sure you grab those as well. Well, As we jump into this evening's message, um, I have a pastor friend, he's a a Haitian, and he was telling me a a story that was happening recently. I I talked to him while I was away on studies, and he was telling me a story about a man in his church. And that man had, within that last week, had been scooped up by ice, was on the fast track for deportation, had left for work in the morning, had been separated from his family and was likely not going to see them again, and he was trying to intervene, he was trying to help, and he, so he was making all sorts of calls. He was trying to figure out, is there a, a way, because it seemed like that they had been doing things appropriately all along, and so couldn't understand why this was happening to his, his congregant, and he felt helpless. The man felt helpless, the family felt helpless, my pastor friend felt helpless, because they didn't seem to have any power to do anything. Until the pastor was finally able to get a hold of the senator's office. And the senator took an interest in the situation. And the senator was able to slow down the proceedings, was able to intervene, was able to at least open the crack of hope to re- reconnect this man with his family. I don't know yet how that story has resolved, but what I know is we often face times in life just like that where we are helpless. We can't seem to influence the situation. We need one who has power where we lack power. And that's where we're diving in this evening. We're going to jump in to see this, this in, on display in God, and we're going to see it in Genesis chapter 17. And so if you want, you can follow along on the screen as we read. Listen, listen for God's word speaking to right where you are. Whatever the situation you walked into the room with, whatever it is you're carrying, if you feel like you're in that kind of a spot, hear God's word for you tonight. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, "'I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I'll make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers.' Abram fell face down, and God said to him, "'As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations.'" I will make you a very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her. And will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And let's pray as we move into God's word. God Almighty, be present among us, taking the words from my mouth and making them yours, taking all of our thoughts, all of the... The, the longings and meditations of our hearts and our souls and, and using them, that we can know you and we can trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So right there, right out of the gates, right there in verse one, God is present to Abram and he introduces himself as, I am God Almighty. And that, that, this is a pretty common name or title for God, isn't it? I mean, even those who aren't really believers, aren't really followers, are are pretty secular people. The phrase God Almighty comes out of their mouths fairly often, doesn't it? And so the world, at least around us, has some memory, some idea that God is God Almighty. But does it mean anything to us? Does it have significance and substance? Is there any teeth to it? In Hebrew, the the name is El Shaddai, and so into English, it's God Almighty. And as we think about this, certainly our mind probably immediately goes first to thinking about might and strength and power, and that is absolutely right. So if that's where you were, you know, you can just give yourself a little pat on the back. We see God as the one who is all-powerful. Particularly if you look at the book of Job, the book of Job is actually where El Shaddai, God Almighty, is used most often than any other book in the Bible. And so in that book, Job has been through just an awful series of events. Everything that he has valued and loved has been taken from him, including his family, including his health. And so he's been living and walking this road of devastation. Talk about feeling helpless, feeling powerless. And so he's arguing with God and particularly with some supposed friends of his who come to him to, well, console, nah, probably not, probably more so rub his nose in the fact that it's his own fault that he's gone through all this. And through the course of this arguing and complaining, God listens silently. Silently. And then in the 40th chapter of Job, God speaks up right there toward the end. And in the 40th chapter, he says this to, to Job. He says, shall a fault finder contend with the almighty? <laughs> and he speaks to him out of a whirlwind. I mean, talk about a display of power. I don't know, if you you live in Tom's River, you may have at 4.41 a.m. two two mornings ago gotten a tornado warning. Uh, Approximately 4.41 a.m. on your phone, right? And we start thinking about the power of a whirlwind. We start thinking about a tornado, and that gives us a moment of pause. And it's from the tornado, from the whirlwind, that God spoke as the Almighty to Job. And he says... All right, Job, prepare yourself. Dress like a man for action because I'm about to question you. And God goes on to make his case. Who are you to argue with me? You don't even understand a little bit. And he starts giving him example upon example. And he says, behold the behemoth. And there's argument about what that might be, but it's this giant land animal, right? This huge beast, maybe it's a hippo, maybe it's an elephant. It's says, basically, what would it be like for you to stand before that animal? I made it. It's not a big deal for me. I remember when I was in Malawi some years ago representing the church with another one of our mission partners and part of what we got to do while we were there was was visit a safari. And these hippos are giant. I mean, they're huge. And, you know, they kind of look cute because they have those little floppy ears, but they're the most deadly animal in Africa. For real. And it's humbling when it's not just one, it's dozens right on the riverbank, 100 yards away from the little hut that you're staying in, and you're wondering, hmm, I think they could run this thing over, right? I mean, and so he says to Job, yeah, for you, that's a problem. For me, nothing. And then he goes on to talk about the Leviathan, which we don't even know what that is, but it's this huge monster of the sea. You know, maybe it's a giant blue whale. Maybe it's an oracle whale. Maybe it's, and again, it's the question. He says to Job, could you make a pet of that? I mean, he's just making fun of Job at this point, right? And it's just a recognition that this is the strength. This is the power that I carry. And Job finally aware of what he's been doing, who he's been talking with says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. I mean, because the, the power that God holds is so easy for us to take for granted day in and day out. But the power of the Almighty is the power that you get when you experience the storms that we've had in the last week, the tropical storms, when we experienced, you know, if you lived in this area, Hurricane Sandy that came through. Even that was, was nothing and insignificant compared to the power of God. It's like, it's like that feeling for us when if you, I'm not particularly afraid of heights, but if you start staring out a window of an airplane and you start thinking about, oh my goodness, if this thing goes down, right? We all have this recognition of how small we are. And yet for God, this is nothing. Right? This is the reality of the almighty. And he is able to do, Paul says in Ephesians, he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine all that we can ask, and we can ask for a whole lot. We got lists of stuff that we ask for. He can do more than that. But he can also do more than we can even imagine, that we can begin to contemplate. So when we start thinking about, okay, who is this God that we approach in in the situation that may feel impossible for you, that you may feel helpless in the middle of, the God you approach is able to do more than you can imagine. So when you're like, I don't even know how to pray because I don't even know what a good resolution to this situation could look like, know that God can do more than you could even imagine to put into words. That's the almighty that you approach, the one who is able. The one who is not bound by the things that we find impossible by my sense of helplessness and overwhelmedness. Is that a word? Sure. Right? This is God Almighty, the all-powerful. Now, but the amazing thing when we come back to the passage that we were looking at tonight is that he doesn't reveal himself as the Almighty, just in general, Actually, we see it throughout the Old Testament when this name El Shaddai is used, when God is the one introducing himself as the Almighty, he does it in the context of a very personal relationship, a very personal moment. He's actually speaking one-on-one when God says, I am God Almighty, which is just amazing to me. Like, he could just be flexing. He could just show off. He could just be saying, hey, look at all the power that I have at my disposal. It could just be on display all the time. But instead, he chooses to reveal himself as the one who is all-powerful in an intimate one-on-one conversation with Abraham. And in an intimate conversation one-on-one with Abraham's grandson, Jacob. In an intimate conversation one-on-one with Moses that the Almighty, it's not just about this power in general, it's about power that He brings to bear in personal relationship with humanity to benefit us. And, And for me, this is such an amazing thing to realize because sometimes all powerful just feels theoretical. It feels out there. It feels like, okay, sure, of course, God is all powerful, but know that God doesn't wanna just be all powerful as if he's got all of this power at his disposal and not do anything with it. He wants to reveal that power in the midst of your life, in the midst of your trial, your hardship, your joy, your, your, your dreams and the pains. That's where he wants to show you and me what it means to be the almighty, you know, because it it would be kind of like if we go back to the story that my friend was telling me, that Senator had the power to do something. I don't know if has power to reconcile the whole situation, but had the power to do something and yet had also the choice whether or not to exercise that power on behalf of the past, this pastor and that man. And he did choose to exercise some measure of his power. And it's the same. God's not just satisfied to be God as if, hey, I'm great, I've got all this power. He wants to bring that power to bear in your life, to use it on your behalf, on my behalf. And particularly in this passage today, as he introduces himself to Abraham, he wants to bring his power into Abraham's life. And so he says, I am the Almighty and so that also gets us to another, another nuance of this El Shaddai, this word Shaddai, El is God, but Shaddai, another shade of meaning in it is sufficient. And so we can hear in God Almighty, all sufficient. So yes, all powerful, but also all sufficient. And when I looked it up and Merriam-Webster says sufficient is defined like this, enough to meet the needs of a situation or a proposed end. So enough to meet the needs of any situation or whatever the proposed end would be. And so God always has enough. He has enough power to fulfill whatever purpose He wants to bring about in your life. God always has enough. He's not limited. Now, sometimes we're not very satisfied with sufficient, right? We kind of want more than sufficient. Sufficient just seems like, you know, mediocre, Feels kind of bland. But remember, this is the sufficiency of God to bring about his intended purpose in your life, not necessarily your desired outcome, big difference. His intended purpose, my desired outcome, not always the same thing. But he always has enough to bring about his intended purposed outcome. And so he says to Abraham, I am the Almighty. <laughs> you know, a, a, Two chapters earlier, in chapter 15, he had already told Abram, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have offspring more than you could possibly imagine. Well, it's been a while. It had been lots of years, and still, Abram didn't have a horde of kids. As a matter of fact, his wife Sarah had had no kids. And so they had tried to make this happen on their own, and so they took actually a servant woman, and Abraham had a son through her. Like, they were trying to force God's hand in this whole thing. Instead of saying, okay, God, you're sufficient, you're going to, you're gonna. okay, you, you've said this end is, I'm going to have a lot of kids. They tried to do it on their own. Instead of just going, okay, God, you've got enough in this moment to do what you said you're going to do. And... It really, for us, begs a whole lot of questions, you know, because we need to know what God has said he's going to do, because inherent in this God Almighty, all-powerful, all-sufficient is that he is making promises, that there are promises that we can actually stand on of significance and substance. Do you know what God has promised you? Because in this passage, God is very clear. He's making promises to Abram, just like he had before. I'm going to give you this whole land that you're staying in right? You've been wandering through this whole land for a while, yet you and your descendants, your descendants are going to own all of this. And you're going to have, like I said a moment ago, all these offsprings, more numerous than the stars in the sky. And then he expands on it in this passage. He says, man, there's going to be kings of nations that will come from you. You're going to be the father of not just one nation, but many nations. You will be the father of. I mean, here he is, 99, not seeing a whole lot of that possibility, pretty helpless, but this is the promises. These are the promises God is making. See, God is a promise-making God, and do you know the promises of God? See, this is, a, this is another reason why immersing ourselves in the scripture is such a good thing, why reading the Bible on your own is so valuable and so important, because really, I, I could put whole lists of things that God has promised you. But it's amazing when you're spending that time with God in the moment, in your circumstance, in whatever you're walking through, and suddenly you're reading and you see, man, there's a promise that pops up that seems so relevant to what you're living in right then. See, reading the Bible is not just about some rule to check off or being super educated and, and more knowledgeable than other people. It's about drawing near to God to know that the God Almighty is making promises to you. What are they? Because when he is the all-powerful and he's the all-sufficient, that means that there's no limitation on his ability to keep the promise. Remember? It goes back to he's more than enough to get to the proposed end, to get to his promised outcome. And so he says to Abram, I'm going to do this. As a matter of fact, your wife, Sarah, who, who hasn't been able to have any kids yet, stop calling her Sarah. Call her Sarai. See, twice in this passage, God changes their names because God has something significant that he wants to do in their lives. And he wants this to be a moment in time, a milestone that they can look at and say, this is where it all changed because God Almighty showed up. And he made a promise. And so he says, Sarah, a year from now, is gonna bear you a son. You're gonna call him Isaac. And he's the one, all of these promises are gonna be kept through him. And then God does the crazy part of this, this whole relationship thing. He says, so if you trust me, then you kind of need to keep your part of the deal. That's what a covenant is about. You know, I'm making these promises to you, and now you need to uphold your part of the deal. And, and immediately when I start saying that, we often think, okay, then I need, to be, I need to be a good enough person. I need to follow his rules. I need to make sure that you know, everything is right and, and in order in my life. That's not what he told Abram, is it? He told Abraham, hey, if you trust me, then here's what you got to do. You and all of the men that are eight days old and older, all of you need to be circumcised. He might've preferred a list of rules. He might've preferred boxes to check. But see, this is so significant because God Almighty is saying to Abraham, I don't just want you to be a performing monkey for me. I don't want you just to to follow all of these rules, right? The law, the 10 commandments, aren't gonna be given for hundreds of years. And so in this moment, God is saying, no, I wanna have a relationship with you. And he said it a couple times where I will be your God and I will be the God of your descendants. I am the sufficiency. All you need to navigate the ups and the downs, the twists and the turns, the trials and the pains, all of the uncertainties, all you need is to hold on to me, the all-sufficient, all-powerful one, because I will be your God. And circumcision then was this sign of trust that they carried in their bodies as a constant reminder of the promise that God had made and a reminder of his sufficiency, and a reminder to themselves to walk faithfully, to live in relationship with this God. See, circumcision, oddly enough, was about saying, I trust you. I trust you this much. And once Jesus came along, Paul was writing the letter to the Colossians earlier about, about circumcision, where at, over time, circumcision did just become an outward box to check and a habit, something that, that allowed the, the people to kind of set themselves aside and say, Yeah, we're, the, we're the, the circumcised. We're the ones that really are included in the promises of God. And Jesus came along and he blew that wide open. And really it was because he was reminding them of what God had promised to Abraham because he he, he didn't promise that Abraham would be the father of one nation. He promised him that he'd be the father of many nations. And that was going to happen through Jesus because Jesus was going to be the one to welcome all nations, all tongues, all tribes back into a relationship with God as they walk by faith. In other words, as they put their trust in God Almighty and so rather than allowing circumcision to, to define that sign of trust, Jesus gave the sign of baptism. So that's what, that's what baptism is about. Baptism is, is now our modern day sign of, I trust you, God Almighty. Your power and your promises, your ability is sufficient to carry me through whatever is happening in my life. And I'm gonna be baptized as a a sign and a way of saying, you know what, I'm no longer going to trust in my sufficiency, in my ability to solve my problems, in my abilities to to be a good enough person to merit God's God's rewards, God's affection, God's blessings that I long for in my life. I'm not gonna trust my sufficiency any longer. I'm gonna trust actually in the sufficiency of Jesus, that because of his death and his resurrection, God looks at me and he says, yes, all of my promises are for you. you. Yeah, you don't have to worry about being sufficient because I am sufficient for you, for everything that you need. And this amazing thing about baptism is no longer is a sign just for men, right? It's for men and it's for women. It was this amazing equalizing experience that the early church rushed in because Jesus was doing something new and was inviting all people into this relationship of trust. In other words, to do what God Almighty had invited Abram to do at the very beginning of our passage, that's to walk faithfully with him. In other words, to live in a faith-filled relationship with him. But man, we so struggle to hold on to the promises of God, don't we? Just like Abram. Because did you see his reaction to God's promise that, that Sarah was going to have a son? He falls on his face and laughs. He falls on his face and laughs at God. Because sometimes all we can see, all we can understand, all we believe is what we can wrap our mind around. And so he's just laughing. Really? Am I going to have a son at 100? My wife at 90? 90? This is absurdity. God, don't you know how this stuff all works? We're way past that. And God's saying, don't you know how my power and my sufficiency works? If I make a promise, I'm going to keep it. And I have the ability within me to keep it. Yeah, but God, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. I don't know if you can really do that for me. And we struggle. To walk faithfully, full of faith, full of trust that he will, in fact, keep the promise. And so often, just like Abraham, we start trying to help God figure out how to make it possible. And so he says, yeah, okay, how about my son Ishmael? Because he can't imagine that there's going to be a son Isaac. He says, no, how about my son Ishmael? Bless him. Allow your promises to transfer to him. And God says, yeah, I don't do it your way. I do it my way. My power is sufficient to bring about my purposes. You don't don't have to help me. I got this one. Your posture is one of resting in what he has promised for you. And what he's promising to Abraham is essentially to bring life out of death, out of a womb that's been barren, that's been unable to this point to have a child. He's promising resurrection hope to one whose hope had probably withered years and years and years before. He's promising the impossible. And the reality is, he promises similar to you and me. He promises a resurrection hope that perhaps even within this lifetime, he can flip what seems like death to life. He can flip what seems like impossible to possible. He can flip the the place where you feel helpless and stuck to a place of possibility and abundance and purpose. He can take all of the hopelessness and bring hope and spring to life right here and now. And you can experience perhaps a little of that resurrection. Or maybe it's that hope that will only be realized in the actual, physical, bodily resurrection after our death. But man, that's a hope in and of itself, isn't it? That all the things that we fear that are so tied to death, death will not have the final say. Resurrection hope has the final say because of the Almighty who has promised it. We struggle with this, though. We struggle with faith and living full of faith. Especially because of the delays, because we might have to wait till after this physical life to see the promises fully realized, and that's when it really becomes faith, doesn't it? Because to walk by faith is to walk with with an expectation that it's going to happen, and I don't see it yet. See, if we could see it, it would be so much easier. We wouldn't have to just trust that God was going to actually do it. But walking by faith might be exactly what this life is. Just as the promise was delayed for years and years and years and years for Abraham, perhaps the things that you've been longing for, the promises you've been holding fast to may not come to pass for years and years. And the invitation is to continue to cling by faith to God Almighty. As we pray for loved ones, for wholeness that seems like it just will not come, and we pray with desperation. As you pray for those that you've been estranged from for years. As you pray into what seems like the impossible, and you're exhausted because of the delay. See, right in the middle of that, we begin to doubt. We begin to doubt that God is even for us in the first place. And this is why it's so profound and significant to me that God reveals himself as the Almighty in the intimate one-on-one conversation. That's why there's a lone person in the midst of the cosmos on this picture. Because God Almighty the all-powerful, the all-sufficient has made you a promise, has made you a series of promises that he has secured for you through Jesus Christ and is inviting you to walk in a relationship with him and to see them come to pass. And it can. And I'm blessed because I get to hear stories I get to hear some stories of those reconciliations that have happened after 25 years apart. I get to hear stories of folks that we've lost because they have passed, but man, they have gone home to be with the Lord, and we are confident because of their faith that they are whole finally. I get to hear stories of God's miraculous intervention of bringing the possible out of the impossible and kindling a hope within you. The all-powerful has made you promises. Go find them so you can hold on to them and then see them come to pass. Let's pray. God Almighty, we acknowledge Acknowledge that we have such a little vision of who you are. That we can say with words that you are powerful and yet we still find ourselves struggling to believe, to really hold on to that, to really trust you in that, especially when push comes to shove and we feel so helpless and small. God Almighty, I, I pray that you would show up in the situations for each person who's here, each person within the hearing of my voice, that we could see you move in miraculous ways, that we could give you the praise and the glory and the honor, that we could lift up who you are, that others may know you as the God Almighty, the all-powerful, all-sufficient, intimately present, personal, promise-keeping God. Lord, we we thank you that we can trust that you are for us, because you have proved it by sending Jesus Christ, your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.